Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. All right, we're going to take applications today. Who wants to sign up to be a narrow-minded bigot? We laugh, right, because who wants to do that, right? Um, And yet, have you ever been accused of being a narrow-minded bigot? You know, we live in a culture uh, that is very much about, well, it's, it's almost anything goes, anything except someone who has a worldview that says there is a God that we are accountable to, and that there's right and wrong, and there's a way to live and a way not to live, and there's only one way to, right? It, it's, we live in a culture when we start saying those kinds of things, people hear you're narrow-minded. And you're bigoted because you're, you know, you're saying all these other people aren't like you, so they're wrong, and it's a real mess, isn't it? And that accusation is, is it's kind of a hard one. You know, when someone is making that accusation against you, they're probably not really open to having a conversation at the moment. But my biggest concern is for us that we would understand the truth about this idea of why would we be called narrow-minded? What does the Bible really say about these things? And how do we embrace them and live them out in a way that honors and glorifies God, which means he gets seen in our lives, which impacts other people for him with the gospel. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the gospel of Matthew. Start with what Jesus says. We're going to be on page 708 in the Bible that's in the chairs there in front of you, page 708. Matthew chapter 7, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, we're getting down toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has said a bunch of things that were uh, kind of went against the prevailing views of the day. Um, you know, he says it's not just murder's wrong, but it's not just about murder. It's about hating people, okay? That uh, adultery is wrong, but it's not just about that. It's about lust in your heart. Uh, it's about making sure that what you say, that, that you don't exaggerate, you, that you go to second mile, you love your enemies, you, you don't pray like the religious leaders of your day, you don't do that, you pray differently. A lot of radical things to the people who were hearing. And then in verse 13, he says this, enter by the narrow gate, For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Lord, please help us to understand your word in in a way that enables us to apply it to our lives in a way that's consistent consistent with you, your character, the truth. Help us to see and understand, Lord, then how these things apply in our lives in very, very practical 
ways. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been talking about in our sermon series, A Life Worth Living, and uh, it's, we've been saying there are just some things you've got to get a handle on, right, that need to just become part of who you are and how you approach life if you're going to live a life that's worth living. And remember, we said a life that's worth living is two things. It's a life that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that, you know, he's saying, well done. That's what we want. And then it's also a life that actually brings the greatest peace and satisfaction and contentment now when we live this way. So we want to settle these things in our lives. And so this idea of this, this thought about being narrow and what does that mean? What are we talking about here? So let's look at the verse again. So enter by the narrow gate. Enter where? Well, I, I think he's, he's talking about uh, if we look in the next verse, the enter into life. Okay, so he's talking about eternal life. But I believe he's talking about more than eternal life. He's also talking about the life that he intends for us to live now. And that's what this whole sermon, I mean, this, the Sermon on the Mount had been about. So we enter by the narrow gate. Okay, so he said there is a narrow gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. And boy, if that isn't a description of our, our society, isn't that a description of our society? You know, how many other ways besides Christianity, biblical Christianity, are people living their lives? Right? So many, many ways. And he says that's, that's the way it is, because it's easy way. It's the easy way. It's the wide way. But the reality is it leads to where? What's he say? Leads to destruction, destruction with respect to an eternal relationship with God and destruction to a life that matters now. And then he says this, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it, okay? So this is where we get the terminology straight and narrow. Actually, it's interesting because... Um, the word straight, uh, th that comes out of the King James language from fast, straight and narrow, uh, S-T-R-A-I-T, straight, really meaning hard or difficult, and narrow, meaning what we mean by narrow. But then it came to mean straight and narrow, the idea of what? S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, that's the way people are straight and the narrow, and that's a fine picture as well. But it is talking about when it, coming, both coming to Christ and how we live our lives. And so... What I want to talk to you about today is what I'm, what I'm calling, and I believe the scripture calls, the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord. We as Christians need to live in the way of the Lord. And the Bible talks about these things in numbers of places. In Matthew chapter 22, and verse number 16, uh, they are talking to Jesus, and they say, Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God in truth. Okay? And then uh, we have scripture that this is where um, Priscilla and Aquila have heard Apollos preach. And he was really a strong preacher, but he did, there's some things he didn't know or understand yet. He hadn't really heard about Jesus. He only knew about John the Baptist, but he was really preaching the truth based on that. And so they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Okay, so this idea of the way of God. What is the way of God? What is the way of the Lord? Uh, well, Peter talks about it this way. He, he, he describes it. He says the way of truth, the way of righteousness, 
Okay, the way that's based and built on truth, the way that's the right way, and righteousness, and those are kind of like parallels of this idea, the way of God, the way of the Lord. And then, um, so much so that in Acts, we have this, this is in Ephesus, it says there arose a great commotion about the way. What do you suppose the way is? Biblical Christianity, it's Christianity. So much so this idea of the way of God, the way of the Lord, the way that we want to, or are supposed to live, that the church became referred to as the way. Okay, so this idea of the way of the Lord is significant, okay? So when we are talking about the way of the Lord, we're talking about a narrow path that Christians are called to follow. The way of the Lord is a narrow path that you and I, as his people, are called to follow. So we can already start to get an idea of where this concept of being narrow comes from, right? Biblically speaking, okay? So let's talk about this. The way of the Lord is a narrow path that Christians are supposed to follow with respect to salvation with respect to salvation. How many ways are there to get saved? One. There's only one way to get saved, okay? That's pretty narrow, isn't it? All right? Now, are there lots of ways and paths to get to the place where you can get saved? Absolutely, we come from all different backgrounds, all different life experiences, all different relationships, all different times in history, right? And so God works all those together, but when it comes to getting saved at that moment, there is only one way. Scripture is pretty clear about this. So in John chapter one, it says this, it says, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. You have to do what? To have your sins forgiven and receive eternal life. You must receive who? Him. Not your own version of him. Not your own religion. Not figure it out for yourself. No, you must receive him. Let's go to the next one. So John says this in his first letter. He says, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. So if, if you have the Son of God, what? You have life. You have eternal life. If you don't, if you have anything else, but you don't have him, what? No salvation. No forgiveness of sins. No eternal life. Okay? And then Jesus talking to Nicodemus, he answers, says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is no way to, to be saved except God's way. There's one way. I know what is that one way. That one way is, is coming to see yourself accurately before God, that there is indeed a holy God that you are accountable to, and, and you look at your life and you say, oh boy, because there's a holy God that I'm accountable to, I'm in trouble. Because I have sinned repeatedly. I have not loved what God has told me to love. I have not live the way God has told me to live. I'm guilty before a holy God. And, and when I stand in judgment before him, I will be found guilty. And the Bible says that I will be then cast into the lake of fire and that that's my eternal destiny, separated from God in torment. 
But we come to believe that Jesus indeed is who the Bible says he was, that he's the son of God, God in human form, who lived a perfect and sinless life and died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, rising from the dead three days later. And when we see these things, that we're sinners guilty before God, but Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins, then the Bible tells us that we're in a place where we can say, oh God, I believe. Lord, I accept that. I put my faith in Jesus. I receive him as my savior, this one way. And then thank God, what does he do? How many of your sins, the day that you received Christ as savior, how many of your sins did he forgive? All of them, all the ones you ever committed, all the ones you hadn't committed yet, all of them. He died for every sin. And so sin is forgiven. We're going to do the Lord's Supper later today and remind ourselves of that, okay? Not only are our sins forgiven, but we now have eternal life. We have a new life. We become new creations in Christ, and our, our, our eternal destiny is with the Lord. And, and then he moves inside. And this idea of being born again, he moves in and begins working on us from the inside out. And that's a good thing, because guess where you're the most messed up? Are you the most messed up before you come, when you, before you come to Christ? Are you the most messed up on the inside or on the outside? It's not a trick question. On the inside, that's right. Because we kind of try to fix up the outside, don't we? Even as Christians, I think far too often, you know, what's really going on the inside is our biggest problem. But anyway, so there's this one way, there's this narrow path to be saved. And if you haven't received Christ as Savior, let me encourage you. You need to do that. You need to, to respond to what I just saying and say, oh God, that's me. I, and I believe and I receive Christ. And if, if, if you aren't clear about that or you have questions, by all means, please reach out. Let us help you. If you're, you're watching and this is all new to you, please reach out. We'd love to talk with you about this. So there is... Uh, uh, um, this idea of a narrow path, this narrow path, and it is for salvation, but it's also for living, how we live our lives. There is a narrow path for us as Christians. We go back to the Old Testament, and God talking to his people Israel then, and he says this, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, this idea, you know, reverence him, give him his rightful place in your life, to walk in all his ways and to love him to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And I think that's a description of walking in all his ways. And so we are to live our lives. Because when we see the word uh, walk in the Bible, and it doesn't necessarily feel like it should be literal, what's it talking about? It's talking about how we live our lives, how we walk through life, so to speak, okay? And so he says God has, is requiring of us that we walk in his ways. And then Paul says this, he says, I have sent Timothy to you, this is New Testament, who will remind you of my ways in Christ. And Paul doesn't mean some separate thing out here. He's talking about my ways, how I live my life in Christ, my ways, the Lord's way, God's way. As I teach everywhere in every church. So everywhere Paul went, he's teaching them the ways of the Lord. Here's how we live. We're Christians live. This is the way of the Lord, the way the Lord wants you to live. All right. And so we see that it's for being saved, it's for living. But let's answer the question now. How narrow are we talking? How narrow? Well, let me make a pretty bold statement here. God's way is always 
the only right way. Let that sink in a little bit, right? God's way is always the only right way. And so we're really saying it's God's way or any other way. Right? It's God's way or every other way. There's only one right way, and it's God's. Now, a few things to say here. We, we need to be honest and say we don't always know what the right way is. True? There are times and places where we aren't really sure, and we're, we're making the best call we can. And this is not about setting up a standard by which I judge other people, because, well, I know about God's way, you're wrong. Now, they might be wrong, and you might be right, but that's not what we're about. Because this, this, this statement can sound pretty arrogant, can't it? Pretty narrow, pretty arrogant. But that's not where we're coming from with it. But what we're acknowledging is that there is a God who has perfect knowledge of everything. The God who created everything here. He knows how everything works. He knows the deepest inner workings of our hearts that we aren't even clear about. He knows all of those things and he knows what needs to happen. He knows how things need to work. And so when God says, this is the way, is he right? Is he right? Is he always right? And so that means it's the only right way. There is no other right way, God's way. Now, same time, there are places, I want you to think that we've got to be careful because I'm not saying either that there is only one right way to do everything because you know what? God has given us tremendous freedom. Now you think we go back very beginning before the first sin entered the world. God uh, creates Adam and Eve and he puts them in the garden and what's he tell them? They can eat. Everything except for the one thing, right? So how much freedom do they have? You think that Eve says, oh boy, today I want to make sure I do the will of God. God, which fruit should we eat today? He says, whatever you want. No, 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 I really want to do your will. Which one? What do you want? Right? Freedom. Well, okay, should I cut it, uh, chop it? Should I slice it? Should I cook it? Should I? Well, what do you want to do? Do that. And there are a lot of things in our Christian lives that are like that, okay? So God has told us, this is right, but there's, there's all these ways that we can do it. So he gives us tremendous freedom. This is not a, a, a taking away of freedom, but it is an understanding. Like I said, if we're going to live lives that really matter, that are worth living, that will please Christ, and that will bring his blessing on our lives, this kind of idea needs to be settled in our hearts and minds. And so if his way is always the only right way, then that's, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to live. Okay, so uh, the way of the Lord is this narrow path that Christians are called to follow. Now, that is what opens us up to the accusations that you are so narrow-minded that you are, and like I said, it becomes bigoted because you're saying other people are wrong, aren't you? You're right and other people are wrong. Who are you to say? Well, the reality is when I say as Christians, it isn't for us to say, is it? It's not for me to be saying who's right and who's wrong. Because really in the long run, does it matter what I think about it? No, what matters? Well, God 
thinks about it. Okay, and so yes, we, we can make judgments, but let me say it this way. We can make judgments, but we ought never be judgmental people. Right? Okay. So let's continue with this thought here. This idea, so we can be accused of this. And so I will admit and say the Christian faith is narrow and exclusive. But the invitation to it is wide and inclusive. Now let me explain what I mean by this, okay? In the sense that it is narrow and exclusive. We've already talked about this some, but consider what Jesus says in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Is that exclusive? Is that narrow? Yes, it excludes. Anybody who tries to go some other way, it excludes them. No, there's only one sense, one way. So it is, it is uh, narrow and, and, and exclusive. Go ahead, the next one. In uh, the scriptures, in, in the book of Acts, it's, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. All right, so this idea, there is a narrowness to it. Uh, let's look in Proverbs. It's, this verse shows up two places in Proverbs. And it says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, okay? So here Jesus says, I am the only way. There is no other name. You must come through Jesus to be saved, to have a relationship with God. You must do it. This is the only way and any other way that seems right to you ultimately leads to death, to spiritual death, eternal death, okay? All right, now, so it is narrow and inclusive, but it's all, when, when it comes to inviting people into Christ, it is wide and, it, and inclusive, right? So let's look and see what the scripture says. Jesus said, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. I'd be lifted up. If I'd be lifted up, put on the cross, okay, dying in this way. But what did he say? If I'm crucified, here's the deal. I'm going to draw who? All people. He said, I'm going to draw only the people I like. Only people I just kind of chose in the beginning. No, he says what? I will draw who? All people. Now, is everybody going to get saved? Is everybody going to respond to that drawing? No. But who is it open to? Who is it open to? All people. That's right. Let's go to the next passage. I should have told you we've got a lot of passages today. More than usual on the screen, okay? So Jesus says, the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Right? It's open. Who wants to come? Who wants to, to come and receive Christ and be saved? Anybody. If you will come, I won't cast you out. Come, I will save you. All right? And so what is the real issue then? Why people aren't saved? It's because of this. John, Jesus said, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And so see, there's a hardness of heart. There's a problem, right? Which we all were born with. And by God's grace, he draws us and works in our lives so that we are able to choose to believe. But not everybody does, okay? So this Christian faith that we have is narrow and exclusive. But the invitation to it is wide and inclusive. 
Now, this leads us to a couple of truths that are counterintuitive to us. And when I say counterintuitive, I mean it, it goes opposite of what we naturally think. Okay? We wouldn't arrive at this conclusion except that the Lord has told us it. All right? And the first one is this, that the narrow path is the way to true freedom. The narrow path is the way to true freedom. Okay? Because we wouldn't think, wait, narrow? No, no, that means our choices are restricted, right? How we're living our lives is restricted. But no, it is the path to true freedom. Uh, let's consider... Um, some scripture here related to this. So Romans chapter 8. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So let's just stop there. No condemnation. When you feel condemned, do you feel free? No, you aren't. You're heavy under something, aren't you? He says, but hey, in a relationship with Christ, there is zero condemnation. Okay? And it continues, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me, what's the word? Free from the law of sin and death. So wait a minute. So this idea of sin and the death, the destruction, the corruption that it brings into our lives. You know, people who, who don't know the Lord and they say, I don't want to, you know, be a Christian because I wouldn't be able to do this and that and the other thing. And so they're, they're participating in all those sins. Are they free? Are they free? No. They are what? Slaves to sin. That's the way the Bible describes it. And so when we come to Christ, we are set free from that. Now, it doesn't mean we can't still choose to sin, because we do, and that's what Paul repeatedly says, hey, because this is true in your life, don't do that. You're not like that. Don't go that direction. We can, but we are set free. We no longer have to, because we are new creations inside, and we can make different choices we can make better choices, okay? Go ahead. In, in Proverbs it says, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man and he is caught in the cords of his sin. So the Bible tells us very clearly when someone isn't living God's way that it's like they're getting slowly but surely what? Tied up by their sin. And life gets narrow and narrower for them. They have less and less of what they think is true freedom. So a couple of ideas here. Anybody ever, I mean, some of you may have been hunters. I've been a hunter off and on for years. I haven't hunted in recent years. It's been too busy. But uh, I noticed, like, you know, to go out into the woods and decide to get off the path and cut through someplace and find myself walking into this whole large area of prickers? Can I walk through there? Yeah. But it's really hard, right? Everything pulls, ah, hurts, and oh, and the deeper you get into it, now the farther away you are from any way out, okay? It's, 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 it's hard. Uh, same thing with... I remember one day, I can remember it clear as a bell. I thought, I'm pretty sure I was hearing deer on the other side over there, and so I decided to cut through the mountain laurel. How many of you have ever been out in the middle of mountain laurel in the woods? So the rest of you, you don't know what I'm talking about. It isn't hurting you, but you can't get there from here. Really, it's the kind of the way it is. It's so tangled, it's so difficult, so hard. Well, that's the way 
It is. Um, there's two different ideas here. Is, is the Christian life hard? Let me ask you that. Sometimes, some ways it is, right? I mean, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. It's easy, it's light, and, and we understand that it is light for our souls. But sometimes it's hard too, isn't it? It's hard if you, have to, if, if you can't say yes to a family member about something. It's hard. Or if someone is attacking you because of some way you're living or something you're doing or not doing. Those things are hard. We don't like those things. Uh, there's certainly places in the world where following Christ could get you beat up or killed. Okay, so following Christ can be hard. This narrow way can be hard. But I get this sense, the idea is, if, if, if I wake up tomorrow morning and all of my muscles are really just so sore, anybody else besides me ever have that experience? You go to get up and go, oh! Right, all your muscles are sore. And you say, why are my muscles sore? Well, it's, you have, was it yesterday because you really exercised hard? You worked hard and now your muscles are sore? Or did you get beat up yesterday? Someone beat you up. I want to say to you that the Christian life is hard. It's like sometimes you're going to have sore muscles, but it's going to come from having done things of value doing things that strengthen you. You end up stronger. If you wake up because all your muscles are, you got beat up, that's not making you stronger, is it? No, you gotta heal. You see, that's what sin does to us. And so the idea is if you're going to, to experience difficulty or pain in life, experience difficulty or pain in life because you're doing what God wants you to do, not because you're living in sin, okay? So we want to, to settle this. There's a, a way to live here. There's a way that the Lord wants us to live for him. All right, so the narrow path of Christianity actually leads us to greater freedom. Look how Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Let's go ahead and go to the next one there if you would. Paul says this, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. I will not be brought under the power of any, because not all things edify, not everything builds us up. And so Paul is talking about living the way of the Lord means making choices that are going to keep me free in him. Okay, I'm going to make choices that keep me free. Because all things aren't helpful. I, I, I might say, I could do that, but it's not really helpful. So if it's not helpful, it's going to create difficulties, isn't it? And it's going to pin me in. All right? He says, I don't want to, I'm not going to be caught, uh, brought under the power. Because if you're brought under the power of something, are you free? You're not free from it. Now it's got you. Okay? So we need to uh, stay away from that. I will not be part of the power. Not all things edify. Everything doesn't build you up. Everything doesn't make you stronger. And so the idea is, as Christians, we make choices. We need to make choices about how we live. We need to make choices about what we allow in our lives and what we don't. We need to make choices about how we invest our time and what we don't, or how we waste our time instead of investing it. We need to make those kinds of choices. Otherwise, we're brought under the power. We, we lose freedom instead of gaining freedom. I mean, just from a practical standpoint, who, who is freer? 20 years of living, two people, 
and one person consistently wastes their time, one person consistently allows things in their lives that aren't helpful, one person consistently does things that don't build them up, they consistently find themselves where they're being controlled by more and more things, or the person who, who examines these things and says, wait a minute, I, I don't think that should be a part of my life. Wait a minute, I don't want to invest here, I want to invest here. And, and they're very conscious of purpose about how they live their life. And their life might seem narrow now, and this other person's wide, but where are they in 20 years of living that way, really? The person who start off with, the, the Christian who's living this way, finds themselves, their life getting narrower and narrower and narrower, and choices have already been made for them because of their choices. And the person who seeks to live in the way of the Lord may start narrow and making these choices, but what it does is it opens up to freedom to do whatever God wants you to do. You're not hemmed in by it. So it's kind of like which way are you going through the funnel here? Um, how about let's, let's talk about fences. So the narrow path, we're choosing the way of the Lord, which means we're saying no to certain things and we're putting up fences and here. Two families, they both live on the cliff. They both have little kids. And this is a cliff, you fall off, you die. Okay? And one family puts up a 10-foot cliff, a 10-foot fence, <laughs> 10-foot fence all around the yard. And actually, they lose some of the yard because of it, right? They lose about three feet of the yard because they put up this fence. So they have less yard than the other family. The other family has more yard. But let me ask you, when you send the kids out to play, which family is the freest? You send your kids out to play with no fence, and the ball goes over the fence, and the kid goes over the fence, not over the fence, over the cliff, I mean, right? But the one with the fence, they can let the kids go out and play, and they play freely. Why? Because there was an obstacle put up. There was something put in the way. A choice was made. They narrowed their yard to experience the freedom. And so this idea, no path, and, and Barry put up the picture here, guardrails. We talked about guardrails a little bit. It, it, guardrails are interesting things because guardrails you know, are designed to keep us from going off the road, right? But I want you to notice where the inside of this guardrail is. See where the, can you see the bolts there where the inside of the guardrail is? Well, if there were no guardrail, you could drive there, couldn't you? Now you might say, that's insane. But you could, you could drive there, right? So you put up the guardrail and you what? Lose road. But how valuable are the guardrails? Let's play the video. You see, when we walk the narrow way, we, we, we choose to live a narrow life because we've put up guardrails, things, places I'm not going to go, things we're not going to live that way. You narrow it, but you actually make yourself freer. So the narrow path is indeed the true way, the way to true freedom. Um, 
Yeah, let's just look at the verses quickly. Proverbs chapter 6 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So the commandments that say, you know, do this, don't do that. Uh, the law, the things that, you know, are moral issues, and then the reproofs. All of these things are guardrails that we want in our lives. Things that are going to keep us safe. Go ahead, Barry. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Just let me say to you that if you are looking at your life and you're trying to make decisions about what's the right way, or what's the right decision here, if it looks questionable, don't do it. Okay, so we talk about, well, everything's not all black and white. Do you agree with me everything's not black and white when we're trying to make decisions? Is that true? Okay, so we say, well, there's gray areas, okay? Well, here's the, the, the reality when we're talking about living the way of the Lord. If it's gray, stay away. Okay? I want you to live in the place that's not a problem, that's not wrong. And I don't need to tell you specifically what those choices are. If you want to talk to me about an issue, I'll be glad to. But you and the Holy Spirit can pretty much figure those things out from his word, okay? Uh, so, abstain from all appearances and then make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So you set up guardrails. Okay, I know that when I do this, this, I often end up there and that's not where I'm supposed to be. So guess what? I'm not going to do this. That gets me there. I mean, the, right, the most obvious is, right, it's, it's the fellow who's an alcoholic and decides to go to the bar to get a Coke. Right? I mean, that's silly, but we know that, right? That's what we're talking about. Don't make provision for whatever your issues are, whatever it is that you deal with. Okay, next up, scripture. Paul says, all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense, who causes offense. Uh, he's, he's been talking about this situation where people are disagreeing on what they can eat or not eat, what days they should worship, what days they should not, what days are special holidays, what days. Are... He's talking about trying to figure out how to deal with that. He says, oh, go back. No, the other back. <laughs> can you, Barry, can you find that? Well, you'll get there. I know you will. All right. Let's see. First Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22. There we go. It says, prove all things. That's what I just read. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Then Romans 13, don't provide for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And then, uh, yeah, so we're in Romans 14. Let's go to Proverbs 8.32. You've got to get back on that. Um, You've got to click on the slide template to get there. Not that one, the next one. Aren't you guys, don't we all, aren't we all grateful that Barry's the one dealing with that and not you? <laughs> we all feel for you, Barry, okay? There we go, now we're on track. Let's get to Proverbs 8, 32. Jesus uh, uh, says, okay, I'm moving on. So the narrow path is the way to increase blessings. Once again, the idea, we might feel, no, it isn't. How can that be? But it is. The narrow path is the way to increase blessings. Proverbs 8.32 says, put that up there. Nope. We're several slides away, Barry. There we go. Blessed are those who keep my ways. 
That's a pretty straightforward statement, isn't it? Keep my ways. Live my ways. Live according to the Lord. Well, Psalms 18, verse 30. Yep. As for God, his way is perfect. It's the best way. It's the perfect way. Go to the next one. The way of the unfaithful is hard. We already talked about that, didn't we? The, the brickers and the bushes and then uh, Proverbs 4. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter under the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. But the path of the just, like a shining, it's, it's the idea that when you live more narrowly, you know, choosing to live according to the ways of the Lord, that it's like a day that gets, by the way, isn't it nice the sun's coming up earlier again? But the sky starts to get light, and it gets lighter, and then the sun pops over the head, the, the hill of the horizon, and it gets brighter and brighter and brighter, and you see clearer and clearer and better and better. He says that's the way the people who live according to his ways, that's what they experience in life. That doesn't mean there's no hardship, doesn't mean, but it gets better and better and better. But for the wicked, those who don't live the Lord's ways, it gets worse, and they can't seem to figure out why. Okay? So keeping the way of the Lord is how we open up our lives to his blessings. God talking about Abraham in Genesis 18 says this. He says, for I have known him, this is God talking, in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord. Which means what? To do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And so the reality is, it is, is as we live according to the ways of the Lord, that that is what opens up God to be able to bless us, for us to experience his blessings in our lives because we have walked with him. We've, we've lived the way that he says to live. We've said no to the things we ought to say no to. We've lived according to his wisdom. And God says, man, I can freely bless through this person now. And so, again, the narrow path is the way to increasing blessings. And so, uh, so much more we could talk about there, but we need to settle this in our life. And so I want to embrace this truth, okay? Embrace this truth, and that is, go ahead and go to that if you would, Barry. No, remember, we're jumping to the end. Embrace this truth. That the way of the Lord is a narrow path that Christians are called to follow. It is. And so we just want to settle that in our lives. And if we settle that in our lives, when all is said and done, we will have lived a life worth living. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word and thank you that you tell us the truth about the importance of living this narrow way. And I pray, Father, that in the process as we kind of joke in the beginning, Lord, that we would not become narrow-minded people. But we would be narrow in our relationship with you and how we live in the world, but open, just like you are, to the world around us. To love them. To reach them with the gospel. So, Father, help us to live these ways and honor you in it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.